everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD and anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorders and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety disorders. Thank you all for joining me today uh, for yet again another delightful podcast. Well, I guess you'll be the judge whether it's delightful. Um, but thank you all for joining me for the podcast. Um, so if you have a question for this question and answer based podcast, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, click on the submit a question link, send me your email and I will read it, consider it likely put it up on a future episode, which is where these questions for today are coming from. Now, if you would like to bypass the wait list, and go right to the top of the list. You can send me an audio question. Go over to Fearcast Podcast at Instagram. Again, that's Fearcast Podcast, all one word over yonder. And um, uh, send me a DM, send me a direct message or PM or whatever they are over that platform. Um, and click on the little microphone button and the little text box, record your questions, send it my way. Uh, or however you want to get me an audio, you can email it to me at questions at fearcastpodcast.com. Send it there. I'll put it up. They're delightful. I think they're delightful. I think they're fun. I like having people's voices up there. Um, again, you know what? I also like having the text questions. It's just going to be a lot more of my voice reading the questions. Um, I've considered trying to do like an accent or something or like saying it in a different way just to try to like spice it up to make it not sound like it's just a lot of my voice. But, you know, it's... It's my podcast, so it's going to be a lot of my voice. Anyways, so I hope everybody is doing well. Um, so uh, I skipped last week for recording a podcast because I typically record on either Thursday or Friday, and that was um, American Thanksgiving. So I did American Thanksgiving stuff with my family and uh, did not record, so I apologize for the delay. Um, and, but I hope everyone had a good one. For those who celebrate, I hope it was good or fun or delightful. Um, mine was good and fun and delightful. It was all of those things. So it, it worked out successfully. Um, not too many any awkward? I don't think really any awkward. The, no, the, the awkward or the difficult part for me was um, I uh, was in a, a, a hot tub and I was be I was the lifeguard on duty for um, three children. So it was a uh, my two and a half and five and a half year old, and then another I think three and a half year old. Anyways, at some point, all of them fell off the uh, was like the little ledge and like head fully underwater. So I had to like. Go over there and grab them and save their life. Uh, no one drowned, which is uh, good, which is kind of, I mean, that's what you want out of, uh, out of a time, out of a Thanksgiving time. So no one died, uh, but it was just, you know, that's that split second of worry. And But seeing their faces pop up um, is, is kind of, it's morbidly funny because you, you pull them out and their faces are like, oh my gosh, they look, look like, like they've seen the other side and they did not like it. So everyone was fine. They were only under for like a split second, but just enough time for them to realize that they're actually supposed to stay on that ledge. Um, the one child who just thought it was hilarious was um, the three and a half year old, which is not mine, but the daughter of my cousin, who is a, a boat captain, a legit boat captain, like a tanker boat, those boat captain. Anyways, they've been around water their entire life. This child went under, popped up, I pulled him back, pulled him up, and just like, ha ha, I did it. And it was like the most a delighted face uh, that, that anybody could have just on like just on the cusp of dying. Um, so she had fun, I guess. So, um, so anyways, it was fun for everyone in the end. All right. 
So uh, before I get into the question, I have two, well, it's one question, but it's inadvertently going to be answering another um, question that came uh, very close to one another. So uh, they're both ROCD, so buckle up for that, relationship OCD. But so I'm recording this today on December 1st. Y'all, I need some better Christmas music out there. Okay, I've had these conversations recently with people. We're over the same songs. Now, some of them are very good, um, but man, we've heard them. We've heard them. And that Mariah Carey one, don't no one no one make a recommendation. I should listen to that. I will burn this podcast to the ground if I hear that one more time. But um, I need some recommendations from new songs, non-traditional songs, or really, really good rearrangements or really good versions of other um, Christmassy types of songs. Um, I've made the recommendation in the past for um, John Legend's song, where is it? Um, Bring Me Love. So check that one out. I think it's great. It's got this walking bass line. It's just awesome. Um, and then this happened for me last year was the, the album from David Crowder called Milk and Cookies. Pretty much any song on that. But if, if, if you're wanting like a non, like a non-religious Christmas song, check out the Ballad of Miss C. So it's about um, Mrs. Claus. It's a fun song. It's I think it's recorded really well, and it's it's just a good song. Check it out. But pretty much anything uh, anything on that, the Elf song is very good. Um, and if you want a more religiousy one, uh, I've heard about you. Anyways, I, y'all don't need to hear this, but I'm 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 putting it out there. Please help me out with my playlists. I'm st- I <sighs> okay. You've heard me complain about it. I'm gonna be done. I'm gonna be done for now. But man. If I get some good recommendations, I'm putting them up. We're going to talk about them because I need some good music this year. I think you all need some music this year, too. Um, oh, okay. All right. Let me take some coffee. Drink some coffee. I guess they call it drink some coffee, not take some coffee. That definitely makes me sound like an addict. Ooh. Okay. Let's just jump into questions. I'm going to bypass all this. All right. So this question comes from Alex. Now, the question from Alex that I'm going to talk about is is also going to answer the question from someone who called himself pushing through. So um, as a reminder, everybody, if you want some anonymity to your question, so like no one's going to know who you are, um, when you send in a question, I will ask for your real name, because I do need to know your real name and real contact information, uh, just in case for legal reasons, I need to contact you. Fun fact, I've never needed to contact anybody for any reason, but you know, the, the lawyers recommended that I do that for uh, liability purposes. Anyway, so I, w- I want your real name, and no one will ever, 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 ever know. Because I also say name used for the podcast, and it can be anything you want. It can be the real, your real name, a variation of it, or it can be anything. And today, this person put pushing through as their name. All right, so anonymity, no one knows who pushing through is unless for whatever reason this person goes by pushing through with their friends and in which case, your secret's out. Here's your question. So, well, their, their ultimate question, they're, I'm going to shorten it up. Uh, they, they're talking about ROCD and they want to know, like, is it, is it ROCD to, to be hyper-focused on a physical flaw in, in somebody? Um, and I think it's a good question. So there, I'm, I'm, again, I'm editing it down, and I'll get into um, Alex's question here momentarily. Um, but 
just as a brief primer, so for everybody interested, when we talk about these subtypes, and I know we've talked about this a lot, and I apologize, but inevitably someone will need to hear this. So all subtypes of OCD are, at the end of the day, OCD. So while we talk about relationship OCD, all that is 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 OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. But we call it relationship OCD because it gives everybody who's hearing or everybody's talking about it an idea of what we're talking about, right? What is the that is the general theme? What are the, what's the kind of the constellation of worries and it that this person's kind of struggling with? And for some subtypes, it also gives an idea about the types of compulsions and struggles that they're going through. So when we talk about relationship OCD, what we're really just saying is this is this is. Uh, the obsessive compulsive disorder cycle, and it is revolving around things having to do with a relationship. Now, ROCD has been argued um, in, in a lot of different ways on like what is and is not ROCD. Some people just say it is about the individual in questioning whether or not they love their partner. So the focus is on their partner. Right and and judging and questioning that. Well, yes, that is a lot of what relationship OCD can be, but I I prefer the broader definition of it, which includes any any relationship that you can have. That can be a relationship with a partner, a romantic partner. It can be about your think your feelings or thoughts about them. Do I love them enough? Do I find them attractive enough? Um, are they fun enough? Do we have a good enough rapport? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. I also think it can be whether or not the other person loves you enough, which also gives an idea about what sort of compulsions they're going to give it. They're going to uh, uh, have. They are probably going to be checking. They're going to be checking whether or not the other person looks like they are attracted, whether or not they are doing relationshipy things, whether or not that person tells other people whether or not they're attracted to you, or uh, or fill in the blank, right? But again, let's go even broader. It can also be about a relationship with a friend, a relationship with your your coworkers, your boss. Um, I've heard it argued about, uh, it was at a conference, and I think Michelle Massey was giving this talk, anyways, um, that uh, it can be about, it can be about your, your dog, your relationship, or the relationship you have with your dog or pet or whatever. Now, from this point, you can also see that that when we talk about religious scrupulosity, which is another subtype of OCD, which is not its own diagnosis, it is just OCD, but about one's religious or spiritual life, you could make the argument that that religious scrupulosity, religious OCD, can be a form of relationship OCD. Now, this is where you can start to see the blurring of the lines between these subtypes, and there's a lot of argument, and there's a lot of consternation going on for people who are struggling with these and saying, oh no, I'm worse now because I'm, I have this new subtype, or I have another subtype, or I'm just collecting all these you know, different obsessions, and oh my gosh, I'm so much worse. OCD is OCD, period. Not, there isn't one that is inherently worse than the other, and I know the POCD folks, the pedophile OCD folks, are going to be arguing with me on this, and that's totally fine. But it, it, it is OCD about a certain topic, and the brain is going to grab onto different things because it's not just about the topic; it is about the way that you're, you're the way that you are approaching with the way that you are approaching and dealing with anxiety, and the uncertainties about various things. 
So that's what we're going to be talking about today is relationship OCD and um, kind of how we can deal with making space for some real kind of relationship things that maybe responded to in a OCD, ruminative, compulsive, et cetera, manner. I think that's a, that is a good way to view our OCD, I think. It's relationship OCD is kind of real relationship realities. Now, this is some. This is not every single person, but a lot of times you could say relationship OCD can be rooted or can be found within real relationship struggles or have components of real relationship struggles, but also responded to with OCD and that that overwhelming fear of that thing that is relatively normal or something that can be addressed and worked out from a relationship perspective. Now, again, sometimes it is rooted in that. Sometimes it has nothing to do with that and is just OCD at a whole cloth and we address it just like, guess what? OCD. I know you're all surprised. Ooh, threw a curveball at you all of a sudden. Mm, more coffee. I feel like right now, no one is saying, you know what Kevin needs right now? More coffee. Um, I've actually not had as much as I typically would. And yet, here I am. All right, let's get into Alex's question. So I, I like they, they just started. They just go, ROCD, partner attraction. And they start it that way. They say, hey, Kevin, <clears throat> excuse me. I was officially diagnosed with the OCD by my therapist earlier this year, and they say parenthetically, uh, though I've always kind of suspected it. Originally, my diagnosis was around religion and scrupulosity, and then they go, hooray! So, parenthetically, I just like when people write hooray. Um, or ta-da. Man, if they said ta-da, that would have been great. All right, but uh, I'm starting to notice how OCD may be affecting other parts of my life and decisions. I started seeing someone a few months ago, and it's been the best relationship I've had uh, or I've been in to date. My girlfriend is so encouraging. An incredible listener challenges me, is compassionate, and she's the kind of person where you think, I want to be like you when I grow up. I never knew a relationship could be so emotionally fulfilling. In the past month, I know everyone's listening to this going like, where's the turn? When's, it get, when's the bottom going to drop out? It's coming. Don't worry. It's coming. Um, let's see here. I got sidetracked. Um, <laughs> oh, here we go. Sometimes when we're together, I can't stop focusing on the things I find physically unattractive about them. There it is, everybody. You saw it. Um, when we are apart, I go through photos trying to see if I really, uh, and she's, uh, they say, if I really, fi quote, find them attractive or not. When we first started dating, I thought she was beautiful. But now I'm always thinking about how I find other people more attractive, and what uh, and, and and what could make and what could make her more attractive to me. I feel a lot of shame about this. I feel like a terrible person sometimes for being so critical. I genuinely love her and think she is the kind of person I would want uh, to build a life with. So it's very disorienting, and uh, or it's, so it's very disorienting when I experience these intense feelings of non-attraction. So, how do you recommend navigating what I suspect to be a function of ROCD? They also say, how do I decipher between obsession and a genuine lack of physical chemistry? Say thank you for so, or they say thank you for this podcast. It's been a huge help since being diagnosed. So, Alex, thank you so much for this question. So, the those are two great 
great questions. And I'm sorry you're having to go through this. And uh, I'm glad that something about this podcast has been helpful. And I hope that in the meantime, since you've sent this in, there's you found some other resources and other help uh, in the process. So, so let's talk. Let's talk about this question. There's a lot of there's a lot of components. So first off, I think it's helpful to recognize that you have this history of obsessive. Uh, obsessive compulsive or this obsessive and compulsive type of uh, of living or type type of thinking rather. So having that in your back pocket can really help you to say, my brain sometimes grabs onto things that at the time felt really important, the most important. You talked about your your religion and scrupulosity. Um, original diagnosis. I, I wonder, you know, I, if you were in my office, I'd wonder where, you, where you're at with that today. Is it still raging or is it kind of seen in the distant past of like, oh, how quaint that old obsession was, yet at the time it was the thing that was ruining your life? I think it's helpful to recognize this because when the new obsession, the obsession du jour pops up, it can feel like that's the most important thing. And Kevin, you got to understand, I've got to figure this out. Everything is revolved around this and hinges on this. And if I don't figure this out, my life is ruined. Right. You felt that about that before, too. And you see now it wasn't the worst thing in the world. But it's helpful to say, yeah, I sometimes do this where I get. And, and this is this is it, it, it may. Will it sound? Mm, I don't know. We'll see. It's kind of this thing of saying, all right, I know that sometimes things get in my, things get stuck in my craw, and that's the focus of my brain. And it tends to go away. So maybe I can treat this one, this thought, with less seriousness, with less attention, and less, less uh, uh, all-encompassing, universal, end-of-the-world uh, concern. So that's that, that's one component, just kind of having that, knowing that about you. And it's and all right, let's hear. <laughs> okay. So you talk a lot about how great of a partner she is, and how much you love her, how much you want to be with her, how delightful she is, et cetera, et cetera. But then you say, yeah, but there's this thing about her where I originally thought she was really, really attractive. And then I st- suddenly started to notice that maybe there are th- there are things about her that I find unattractive. So this is a really common obsession. And I wonder, well, what does that mean for you? What is the worry at the end of the road? Because obviously there's something about that, that you're sitting there looking at these photos. I, I probably, and a lot of folks with this obsession, they do a lot of emotional checking. They'll do a lot of checking uh, of other, of other people, men, women, etc., cetera, um, past partners, uh, things like that to test, do I find this person attractive? Let's look at this physical characteristic of this other person. Do I like that? Now let's compare that to my partner. Do I like that, right? They might reflect back on the earlier times in the relationship and, th- and say, you know, I didn't even notice that. Was there something wrong that I didn't notice it? What was different about me that I didn't notice it? Or was it there the whole time? Or is it getting worse? Uh, there can, they can also try, try to compare their feelings they had initially with now or try to force a feeling of attraction. And I'm telling you, forcing a feeling of attraction never works. It's, it's, it is exhausting and it feels as if, or it's, it ultimately starts to get back to the point that, well, you're not getting that attractive feeling, so the attraction must not be there. But try to try to conjure a feeling of attraction towards the towards a lamp. I'm looking at a lamp in my office. It's a nice lamp, but it's not my type. Um, 
And I don't think I can sit here and force a feeling, especially force a feeling that's going to be sustained and sustainable. So anyways, as a side point. All right. But these are a lot of the common compulsions that people with ROCD will, will do. So something to think about with this is to remember that people aren't perfect. And I say that about I say that about you too, Alex, is that, you know, and I don't know what you look like, but you you probably aren't perfect either. And there are things about us that may be unattractive. Um, I know this is this is a, a weird way to start this, but people will have things about us that aren't perfect or and will change. Um, so over time, even if we find something attractive, that thing may change about that person. So we are also dynamic people where we're not dynamic people. Well, we are, but also we're, we're nuanced. It is possible to like, to like something about something and to not like something about that same thing. It's, it's having, it's, but OCD doesn't love that idea. OCD wants it to be homogenous. It is, it, it struggles with saying, I it struggles with saying there's nuance to this. I don't love everything about it. And this, this kind of belief, it's this all or nothing perspective. If there's any element about this that I don't like, well, it, it must be that I don't like the entire thing, or it must be that I have to get rid of or destroy that thing, whatever that thing is, or I have to change the way that I feel. Incidentally, I'm writing an article just on this, um, and uh, it should probably put it up on the uh, Cal OCD website and probably Psych Today uh, in the next couple weeks. But and the idea is, think about anything that we like. Not your, and not your partner. So anybody out there, think about something that you like. Are you able to acknowledge something about it that, that you don't like? Or that isn't just magical? Or is annoying? Or is bothersome? Or is, is kind of puts you in a conflicted space? And again, everything. I've talked about how much I like Disneyland. And man, there's a lot that I don't like about Disneyland. But the question is, does my not liking things undermine the fact that I like other things? And does that mean that I need to be done with Disneyland entirely? I would argue no. And I would argue the reality is all of us are going to have this duality to us. And we're going to have this duality even about our romantic partner. So, so Alex, I, I, would, I wonder for you, what is the story that happens if you allow yourself to have and acknowledge this duality that maybe there are things about her that aren't perfect by whatever that measure is? And OCD inevitably changes the goalpost of what we find attractive. And we'll say, well, I initially focused on this, but man, now I'm hyper-focused on this other thing. All right. What happens to that? And for some people, it can be a worry that they're just never going to be fulfilled. For some, they're never going to be like happy within the relationship, and it's just going to be destroying their relationship because they're going to constantly be thinking about their partners, X, Y, or Z. For some, the worry is, well, what if I'm not with the, quote, right person? Um, in the, uh, the, the book, uh, uh, relationship OCD uh, talks about this the, the myth of the one um, and um, uh, check out that book by the way it's a great book by uh, Shiva Rajay um, and uh, so she talks about the idea of the myth of the one where there's somebody out there who has all of the qualities physical character uh, everything 
they're a myth. That person doesn't exist. Now, there are maybe ones that we can get along with, but ain't nobody perfect. And that's part of this is what happens for you, Alex, if you were to make space for this person being imperfect? What does that feel like? Does it feel like you're you were kind of, someone was taken from you, that you were maybe promised something. You were promised a perfect relationship. Maybe. These are all things to kind of hash out with a therapist. But this is some stuff to consider for yourself. Well, what is it about that thing that is so terrible, that it is taking your time and effort and energy, so much so that you emailed me about it? What, is, what, it, what are the consequences if you don't square this for yourself? You go on to say, I genuinely love her and think she's the kind of person I would want to build a life with. And then you say, so it's very disorienting when I experience these intense feelings of non-attraction. So we can also remember that relationships, successful relationships can be built on any number of things. And we don't, and they don't always have to be built on full and complete and constant physical attraction. Because physical attraction is going to shift and change and is going to be present and is going to recede over the course of a typical relationship, as is pretty much everything else, is going to have this this forward and back momentum. And what we want to try to do, what, what we need to do within relationships is to create more space for these myriad of emotions that, and to say, yeah, for right now, I don't feel X towards my partner. And that's okay, because I know it will come back, and will recede and come back and recede, etc. Because you're not talking about any, well, uh, that's a side point, I'm not even going to address that. So you asked two very specific questions. How do you recommend navigating what I suspect to be a function of ROCD? And the second is, how do I decipher between an obsession and a genuine lack of physical chemistry? So let's talk about that second one first. How do I decipher between an obsession and a genuine lack of physical chemistry? Now, first off, there's going to be a ton. I imagine there's a ton of rumination about that, trying to get just to the bottom of, is this an obsession or is this your physical chemistry or the lack thereof. Well, I want to take a step back and say, you already acknowledged that there is physical chemistry, but is what's underlying that, uh, the, 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 the actual question of, quote, is there enough physical chemistry? Because is there, are you saying, is there no physical chemistry? Or are you saying there's, there's not enough and that's where OCD can really jump in and to say, well, there's this mark that we're supposed to hit or we used to hit and we're not hitting that anymore. So what's wrong? How do I get that back? How do I ensure that's going to happen? What does she need to change about herself in order for us to get to that space again? I'm going to make a prediction. If you were to put in all that effort and energy and try to get to that space, OCD is going to change the goalpost again. And it's going to say, "Mm, but are you sure it's still enough? But enough for what? For a successful, happy, mutually beneficial relationship? Well, that's that question. And that's ultimately a question that there is no objective answer to. So as a rule of thumb, an obsession increases anxiety. So if there is a question that that 
makes you feel really uncomfortable, that, that increases your anxiety, and feels like it needs to be dealt with through compulsive behavior, through uh, some action, either physical or mental, to relieve that anxiety, that's, that would be a compulsion. But the obsession is something that causes anxiety. So, I, 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 I feel like it'd be, uh, is it going too far to then say, I'm questioning this about myself, if there, was a, if there was genuinely no, or genuinely not enough of, or, genu- or if there was no physical chemistry, it'd probably be a decision. You'd kind of know. And sometimes the anxiety about that would be about the fear of admitting it, rather than saying, is there physical chemistry or not? Sometimes maybe the fear is, well, I just don't, I just don't like the consequences of my admitting that because it might mean I, I would break up with them, or it might mean something else, right? Whereas the obsession is going to be, is there enough physical chemistry and testing and evaluating rather than, well, I, I already know the answer to the question. I just don't like the answer to the question, right? I know that's kind of splitting hairs, but something to consider, and again, perhaps something to talk about with, with a therapist who can really help you to kind of pull this apart. But as a rule of thumb, if it's creating anxiety, it's an obsession. And it sounds like you kind of know the answer to this question already, I would, I would bet. So how, do you, how would I recommend uh, navigating what you suspect to be a function of ROCD? Well, first, first and foremost, it's helpful to know, or it's important to know, what your compulsions are that you're doing. What are the things that you're doing to try to get certainty? You've already pointed one out. You're going through photos trying to see if you're really attracted to her or not. So number one, I would resist doing that. Resist going through photos and trying to f- trying to evaluate whether you find her attractive or not. Because the reality is you, you get, you're putting the, her into this kind of dichotomy, whereas she is either all attractive or she is not. That all or nothing thing. Who, who out there falls into that they are fully 100% attractive? I'm going to go ahead and say nobody, because again, we can find something not great about even the most perfect person. So it's, you're setting yourself up for failure in that process. Scripting can be helpful in this. So scripting would be writing out a story in first person and in present tense where you're writing about how maybe in this story, you notice that there's this thing that's unattractive about them. And maybe a sto- the story could be that she continually gets less and less and less attractive until at some point you're dating this gargoyle, then you both are, you, you both are living under a bridge somewhere. I don't know. It could be, and that you're stuck in this relationship forever, right? And that you're progressively getting less and less happy in the relationship. It could be that you spend the rest of your life in this relationship and it's not that she gets more and more unattractive. It's that you constantly are ruminating in every point in the relationship, every big thing you're still questioning. So you get married and instead of focusing on the marriage itself, maybe you are ruminating about whether or not you find her attractive and whether or not this is a good step and that you are, you're at the birth of your first kid. And instead of thinking about how this is going to change your life in any new, any number, of ways and how wonderful this is and et cetera, et cetera. You're thinking about still, ah, I wonder, you know, is, did I make a mistake? Should I be with this person? Well, now we got this other person who probably is not very attractive and newborn babies are unattractive. I'm tired of people telling me they're attractive, not smush face, weird. Anyways. So 
And the story goes on and on of you constantly questioning and missing out on the big parts of your life because you're questioning this relationship. Or another story could be you're going through your you're going through life and you constantly are seeing people who are more attractive and then you look over this this troll over here who just looks like the way that she looks and you're just stuck never being fulfilled. Now again, all of this is really going to depend on what is it that is bugging you. I still think one of the most important things that we can do in a relation for relationship OCD is pull back on on your compulsions that are pulling you into this cycle and preventing you from allowing this person that you're with to be a human, to be a person who has good days and bad days, who has parts about them that are imperfect. Because again, it's the compassion that we would hope someone gives us that we are imperfect and that we can have good days and bad days. So I would encourage you to look at what are you doing that pulls you into this checking ruminative, perfectionistic mindset and say, what would it mean for me to instead say, you know what, I'm going to let my partner be who, who they are, who she is. And she has that. And the brain's going to say, but do you find it attractive? Is she attractive or not? And the answer is both. Or the answer is, I don't know. Or the answer is, I don't need to know. Or the answer is, I see what you're doing, brain. It's not even answering it. Going, yeah, that's a thought. Woo. I see what you're trying to do, brain. But I'm going to lean into the relationship instead of pulling back in the relationship, pulling back from the relationship to ruminate and to check and to consider and to think. You're going to lean into it. You're going to comment on something that you do find attractive about her. And I know that's going to make you feel real uncomfortable because your brain's going to say, but do you actually find that attractive? And you're going to say, maybe, I don't know, but I'm going to say this anyways, because I'm going to lean into this relationship. I'm going to try to make this relationship the best possible relationship that I can by caring about them, saying nice things about them, doing wonderful things for them. And maybe we're going to leave that question un answered and it's going to feel uncomfortable but remember trying to answer that has pulled you out of the relationship again when you've spent a whole bunch of the first half of this email telling me about how wonderful they are and are you are you essentially making like the pie graph right think about a pie graph of of attraction or of like the relationship itself and all the different pie pieces or pie slices are different components of the relationship it sounds like your anxiety has said 90% of of my relationship pie is about her looks. Whereas a relationship is about a lot of other things. And you've talked about how she has this wonderful character and she's the person you, you want to be with. She challenges you. She's a listener. She's compassionate. Those are all wonderful things, but it sounds like all those are taking a backseat to this. When your brain says, oh, but is she, is she attractive or not? It's like, well, who knows? Or I don't need to know. Or I see what you're doing. And saying the relationship is what it is. And she is a wonderful person because it sounds like she is. But we're sidestepping that answering that question in order to pursue the relationship to make it the best that you can. So I'll leave it there. Hopefully it wasn't too repetitive. Hopefully this helps even a little bit. 
Um, of course, there are other, you know, more intentional exposures that, um, you know, some people would agree with or not, but I think those would be things that um, I might have talked about in other podcasts or things that you can talk about with a therapist if those are helpful. But again, taking a step back and taking a step back from the compulsions that you're doing and sitting with just the uncertainty and what that feels like to not answer that question. What's at risk? And then saying, I'm going to sit with that feeling. And by sit with, I mean live with, right? Go and engage the relationship or go and engage, I don't know, going for a walk with them or going to work, whatever it is, and having that feeling of uncertainty. It can be there, but we don't want to be pulling away from life to answer these questions that ultimately you're never going to answer, you're never going to be able to answer because OCD is always going to change them for you. So, all right, Alex, I said I was going to end and then I kept talking. Ugh, that's what I do. All right, and I hope that also um, helped to answer um, pushing through's question about um, our OCD. So, um, I think I'll slide in the um, the music right here. So, everybody, thank you all so much for letting me be a part of your recovery. Um, I know there's a lot of other places that you could get information, a lot of other um, podcasts and stuff, and I'm just honored that anybody listens to this podcast and anybody would um, I, I would send me questions to um, to help out with as best I as best I can. So. Um, Let's see. So if you have a question, if you have a follow-up to this and would like to add more information, check me out over at Instagram. I'm Fearcast Podcast over there. You can send me a message over at the website, uh, fearcastpodcast.com. Um, but uh, um, please remember, everybody, that the Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need some help in your recovery, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, click on the Find Help link, and uh, there'll be some information for you there. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.